You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Today's show was recorded and edited across the traditional lands of many nations and we'll take a deep dive into an issue that threatens environment and quality of life in the 40 Aboriginal nations of the Murray-Darling Basin. I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging from across these great lands and acknowledge the continuing struggle for sovereignty and self-determination. I'm Megan Williams. I think the community was just in absolute shock. It really provides some evidence to what we've been thinking about the impact of floodplain harvesting in our communities and on our river. What would you call water that's fallen as heavy rain and is flowing across country before it enters a river channel? If you're a large landholder in Queensland or northern New South Wales, you might call that water yours. The act of floodplain harvesting, that is, diverting floodwaters into private storages as they flow overland, has come under increased scrutiny this year, particularly in New South Wales. Today on Earth Matters, we'll hear excerpts from a presentation by research and policy analysts Slattery and Johnson, who've mapped and estimated the growth in on-farm storages over the last 25 years. But to set the scene... We've got Charlie Sue Frail, Namba woman who's advising the Darawa Elders Group in Walgett on creating a ranger program in northwest New South Wales. I asked her to explain how the river has changed over time and how that's concerning for the local community. I always remember that you could always swim in the unless it was flooding. I don't think when I was younger, I don't, I don't think it was, it was much of an issue of water security. So I'm 32 now, um, but I've always feel like in my memory there was always enough water in the river. At times, it was probably about the water, the river was flowing too fast, so you couldn't swim in the river. I always remember um, I'm from Brewarina, so we've got the Biomi Nunu uh, Ganya, the Brewarina fish traps there, and. I always remember being able to swim in those fish traps. Um, so it was only recently, probably in the last 10 months that I've been back in Bree and I've been able to see the river change. And, um, you know, if you go back to when you can and can't swim in the river, I could count I could count maybe about two months that I could swim out in the river out of the last 10 months of this year. So if you're... The, Compared to what it was when I was younger, or what my mum remembers, my mum, uh, my mum's generation—they're the last generation who are going to remember the river as being clear. It's our elders often speak about our being uh, the river. You are able to drink from the river, um, straight from the river. You are able to catch fish. Sometimes people would even swim down and catch a fish with a spear. Um, so, you know, there's a long history of everyone in river communities being able to 
survive just off the river alone um, as a food source, as as recreational activities. And, um, you know, there's a lot of spiritual and cultural stories embedded within the river, uh, up and down the river, um, down the Bow and Darling. And so it has shifted now um, because you, you can't, you don't have as much freedom to go down to the river you know for 12 months of the year you just don't have you don't have a flowing river you don't have a healthy river um and that's what everyone's really concerned with at the moment charlie sue explained further about how people are being pushed to action based on what they're seeing it's not a river that our elders remember or that our families speak about it's it's a different river to what they've grown up with and i think uh, you know, there's, there is certainly an element of climate change has reduced rainfall, but there's also a lot of human intervention that has damaged the river and that whether that be um, through land clearing with the lack of trees, so, you know, lack of, lack of moisture in the air or whether that, um, you know, la- there's the rainfalls have certainly um, shifted to what they were when our elders were around. But also um, there's been a lot of conversations in the public sphere about what water changes there has been or what water management issues there have been. And, you know, certainly communities have been quite active in in both looking and talking about that, but also figuring out how to play a more active role in, in water management. A broad stroke of communities have rallied behind research to estimate how much floodplain harvesting is taking place in the New South Wales Northern Basin. To understand the human impacts that occur by diverting floodwaters into private on farm dams. Marianne Slattery, Director of Water Consultancy Slattery and Johnson, explains this project. This project was a collaboration for a whole lot of different groups across the basin. You know, we've been supported by irrigated groups, um, community groups. Aboriginal groups, environmental groups. Um, so it sort of demonstrates a wide range of concern that a whole lot of stakeholders have around the licensing of floodplain harvesting in New South Wales. This project, we go through and explain the New South Wales floodplain harvesting policy and what's been done to date over the last 25 years. And the crux of the project is to map and calculate the, the volume of on-farm storages and then explain how that relates to floodplain harvesting and the licensing of floodplain harvesting. Through the presentation, Marianne has explained how the Darling once supplied a substantial proportion of flows in the Murray at the South Australian border. The Murray-Darling Basin Commission estimated that the contribution that the, the North made to the South Australian entitlement under the Murray-Darling Basin Agreement was 39% on a long-term average. We went and had a look at all of the um, all of the reports that we could find that looked at inflows from the north to the south and we found about half a dozen different numbers that were all produced by either the Murray-Darling Basin Commission or the Murray-Darling Basin Authority, which puts that number as high as 59%. In the last 20 years, this has declined dramatically. And the amount of water captured through floodplain harvesting could have a lot to do with this. In terms of floodplain harvesting in New South Wales, we haven't issued any licences for floodplain harvesting yet, which means that to date it's been unregulated, it hasn't been measured or monitored. The New South South Wales Natural Resource Access Regulator 
NRA advised irrigators and um, government at the beginning of this year that taking water without a licence, including floodplain harvesting, was illegal. There's been a bit of to and froing in the in, in the public arena about whether it is illegal or not. The government has now admitted that it is illegal to take water to, to, to harvest floodplain water without a licence. But NRR has said it's not going to prosecute anybody because the issuing of licences is imminent. Now New South Wales is in the process of issuing licences for floodplain harvesting. But to understand how new water licences will affect the river, Marianne has to take us back 25 years. It quickly became apparent to us that looking at floodplain harvesting was actually a story about CAP. CAP puts a limit on extractions back to 94 levels of development. It relates to both the infrastructure that was in place in 1994 and, importantly, the rules that were in place in 1994. Um, It acknowledges that we can have changes, but we just can't have an overall change in the level of development. So new developments were supposed to be offset by either improved water use efficiency, so there's no overall increase in use, or to purchase water from existing developments. It's legislated both at the Commonwealth level and also in New South Wales legislation. Um, Importantly, floodplain harvesting was meant to be part of CAP. It was initially we started CAP and we, we didn't have floodplain harvesting included and it was always meant to be something that was going to be included down the track. Marianne says the most important part of issuing licences is making sure that floodplain harvesting complies with CAP. The New South Wales government is hoping to have licences issued by the middle of next year. They put a lot of effort into this latest push to have licences in place. Both Commonwealth and New South Wales have put a lot of money into it. But a really key point, and to me the the take-home point, is that they have not demonstrated that the levels of licensing is at the 94 level of development. And to me, this is the most critical part of of issuing floodplain harvesting licences. Next, Marianne is going to explain what proposed floodplain harvesting licences might look like. And if you're not fluent in water jargon, this part might get a little confusing. She talks about valleys like the Gwida in northern New South Wales, where floodplain harvesting takes place, and the Barwon Darling, which has a notorious water sharing plan, and now the Lower Darling or Barker River is seeing the consequences. She defines carryover and explains the policy mechanism that will give floodplain harvesters access to five years' worth of water on the day licences are issued. Um, the proposal is to get 500% of the of the, the face value of the licence on day one, except the guider, which is 600%, 500% use in any one year if you've got the water in your account, except for the guider, which is 600%. So they get 100% of the, the full value of their licence volume of day one of the water year at the moment. That's the proposal. And they start with five times the amount and they can use five times in, in any year. So the same, it's the same problem that we've got in the Bale and Darling where the system actually owes the, um, the licence holder water. Um, they have unlimited carryover, so they can carry it over indefinitely. 
I'm using that word carryover because that's their word. I think we need to change that word and, and not use it. In the south, carry or in, in a regulated river, carryover represents you've got been allocated water and you've got water in your account and you haven't used it. So that means that there's water available in the dam, which you haven't used, and you decide to keep that in your account for the next year. This is very different because the water hasn't arrived yet. Um, it's just that the, the system owes the irrigator water. If they're in a you know, dry sequence, that, that can just keep accumulating. And then when there is water available, because the accounts um, are so high, they can take as much as they can, as much as they can capture. Pigs on the river, snouts in the trough Taking all the water, you can't get enough You don't care, you leave towns dry Pigs on the river You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. That was Marianne Slattery, Director of Slattery & Johnson, explaining the process for licensing floodplain harvesting in New South Wales and the CAP compliance model, which legislates the level of extraction that must be adhered to. You don't love the river, you greedy swine. You've got no friends, you sure aren't mine. You think you're big time. She's explained that under proposed legislation in New South Wales, floodplain harvesters will have access to as much water as they can capture. So just how much water is that? Slattery and Johnson conducted satellite analysis to estimate on-farm dam storages in northern New South Wales. Their civil engineer, Patrick Brown, reports on the results. And later, we'll hear again from Nyamba woman, Charlie Sue Frail, on what this policy and research means for First Nations community groups, like the Darawa Elders Group, and the people of Walgut and Brewarrina. Here's Patrick Brown. So in terms of our results, uh, here we're showing the results for the Bowen-Darling-Barker Valley, where we found 171 storages. This is at present day. 342 in the Macquarie, 322 in the Upper Namoi, 373 in the Lower Namoi, 434 in the Guaida, and 191 in, in the New South Wales Border Rivers. So 1,833 in total. Now remember here that Patrick is presenting a slideshow to an online audience of community and environmental organisations. He's talking through a slide that shows the growth in the volume of private storages over time based on satellite analysis. So bringing in that, that volume information that I was talking about before, the LIDAR, where able to plot in blue here the total storage in those valleys over time, because we're able to look at the um, the Landsat archive going going back. So the blue line here is showing us the total storage. So key things to kind of pick up here is the fact that in the in 1993-4, which is the reference year for the cap, uh, total storage was about 600 gigs, and it had increased by 50% since the late 80s. Uh, and so according to the cap, the that is the limit for development um, going forward. 
and water extractions should be based on that particular level of development. But it's very clear that the total volume of storage has continued to, to grow to be uh, about 1,500 gigs in total today, so an increase of 140%. Based on this analysis, dam storage has more than doubled in northern New South Wales. Patrick goes on to say what the government figures are missing. So we talked about the fact that the, there's been an increase up to about 1,500 gigs of storage today. Uh, and this slide is just showing that our numbers agree with what, the, what's, what we can summarise from government reports. So we're not saying that we disagree with what the government is publishing in terms of the volume of on-farm storage, but what the government figures don't tell is that storage of the increase since the early 90s and particularly since the cap reference year. Charlie Sue Frail, Namba woman and advisor to the Darawa Elders Group in Walgett, shared with me how the current efforts to regulate floodplain harvesting demonstrate a lack of understanding of the river and First Nations communities. There's over 2 million people live in the Murray-Darling Basin and um, and are quite relying on it for a water source. So I just think, I think there's just a, it just astounds me that a policy like this could exist knowing that there are so many communities reliant on the river for their everyday life. They rely on it for their drinking water. Uh, they rely on it for recreational activities. They rely on it for their food sources. Aboriginal people rely on it for our cultural activities. So I just think it's it just astounds me that people, one, uh, think that the environment owes them anything when actually it's the environment or the river that sustains our life. And secondly, that there's, there's a multi-billion dollar industry created off this water sector, knowing full well that it can't sustain the current industries. So I just think it's completely unsustainable for the future. And and it's and it's not enough to think that when the river runs dry that we just we will leave our communities and we'll go elsewhere because I can tell you my community won't be leaving we won't be leaving our lands and so I just think there's there's la- there's a lack of thinking about the social and economic um, impact into the future about what happens when there's no water in the river and this this policy is a clear example of that. Slattery and Johnson had toured their research through communities in the southern Riverina along the Murray, right up the Bow and Darling Barker River to the Darawa Elders Group in Walgett. I asked Charlie Sue what questions the on-farm dam research raised in her community. The river shouldn't be in debt to irrigators. I think that was one of the really clear conversations that were had by um, a number of people in the um, in the community who were who were involved in these workshops and there were questions about the legality uh, and how it was lawful to allow such a extensive carryover and also how you could how you could give people you know five times their entitlement that they've purchased um, because the river didn't provide water in that year so I just think I think there was this real injustice on behalf of the community but also on behalf of the river in the current floodplain harvesting legislations that they're proposing. There were also questions about how do we play a more active role in ensuring that this legislation doesn't come into effect. There's some clear uh, concerns that we have in the Northern Basin about the impact on the river into the future and and also that it only benefited a small sector of the community. Um, 
There was also concerns about environmental um, environmental water and how that wouldn't be protected under floodplain harvesting legislation. So I guess in short, there's grave concern about this piece of legisla- legislation coming into effect and I guess there was a real interest in mobilising um, up and down the river, especially amongst First Nations communities, uh, in trying to ensure our voices are adequately represented um, within this policy, but also to ensure that the New South Wales government actively engage with First Nations communities on this issue because we haven't been engaged in floodplain harvesting to date and there's a real, uh, there's a real need to engage us, especially, um, especially given that we represent a very large majority of the population in, in the Northern Basin. And I asked Charlie Sue if there was one thing that we should take away from all of this, what would it be? Look, just that I'm I'm not being dramatic when I say this, but the river is in a really bad state. Um, It's not sustaining life like it has. And there was a great concern about um, what its future might look like. And I think... We all have a uh, we all have an obligation and a responsibility to care for it better. Um, we all have an obligation to speak to the power brokers to ensure that they are looking after and they're doing everything within its interest. Um, it's so I just think we can't take the foot off the pedal. And even with a little bit of rain, it's not going to it's not going to restore the river to um, to how it was in the past. So I just think. Everyone has to keep across this issue and we're still fighting it. And so, uh, you know, there's a great opportunity for us to work together and try to uh, bring about change and try to influence change within the water, water space. And if you feel inspired by what you've heard today, public submissions on changes to floodplain harvesting legislation in New South Wales are closing this weekend on Sunday the 20th of December. You can see a submission guide that's been posted to healthyriversdubbo.com.au. And to close us out, we'll finish on some powerful words from Charlie Sue Frail. We've never lost sight of our custodian obligations to our country. And when I talk about country, I talk about land and I talk about the river and I talk about the earth and the skies and the animals and the trees and the plants so country is all encompassing of of those um, aspects and when you think um, we have never lost sight of our custodian obligation um, to the land and to manage it I just think there's there's a real sense of helplessness of not being able to carry out our obligations um, because at the moment it's it's a game of power and Aboriginal people own less than 0.2% of water rights and, uh, you know, the land is so expensive um, in the Northern Basin. If you were to buy properties, um, you need, like I would need to be a multi-millionaire to buy my land back. And we haven't seen, we haven't seen native title be effective, being that effective in, in our ability to care for country out here. And there's a real appetite from everyday Australians um, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to resume a leadership role within caring for country. I still think the government uh, are coming, are trying to figure out how to do that in Southern Australia. There has been really great programs in Northern Australia where we have, um, you know, through the Working for Country initiatives where we have 
allowed Aboriginal people to resume a role in caring for country. And I just think we're still trying to figure it out what it looks like in Southern Australia. But I certainly think there's a there's a great opportunity for us to 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 play an active role in in caring for the country and and caring for the riverbanks and trying to bring the river back to a healthy um to the to a healthy system. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. My name is Megan Williams. Today's guest was Charlie Sue Frail, Nyamba woman and advisor to the Darawa Elders Group. And I used a recording of a presentation by Slattery and Johnson to an online audience of community and environmental groups about their research into mapping and estimating on-farm dam storages in northern New South Wales. You heard from Director Marianne Slattery and Civil Engineer Patrick Brown. You can listen back to today's show and all of our shows at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters or search Earth Matters 3CR on any podcasting service. Remember to rate, review and subscribe to Earth Matters to get a new episode in your podcast feed every week. To get in touch, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters was once produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri country, and we will be coming to you from the studio again very soon. This week's show was produced online across stolen lands, and the song today was Pigs on the River, an outback classic by John Williamson. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for more Earth Matters. on the river, snouts in the trough, taking all the water, you can't get enough, you don't care, you leave towns dry, pigs on the river, snouts in the trough, draining the country, can't get enough, you're getting fat, with a greedy eye.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.